Welcome to the Offshore Accountant Podcast. I'm Nick Sinclair and this is the go-to podcast if you're an accountant and looking to set up and build a high-performing offshore team for your accounting firm. Here you can learn how to complement your local efforts, grow capacity and deliver more to clients than ever before. Hear from experts who have done it already. Let's go. Hi there, I'm Scott Costain from Thomas Hopper and Partners, and you're listening to the Offshore Accountants Podcast. So Scott, give us an overview of your team structure, both your local team, your offshore team, um, and just a little bit more about your business. Sure. Um, Thomas Hopper and Partners is a three-partner um, accounting practice here in Millstons Point, Sydney. We have both onshore and offshore team, 12 onshore staff here, including the three partners made up of... Um, accountants and admin to admin staff and we've got five uh, offshore uh, staff members um, split over Clark and Manila, three in Manila who head up our superannuation processing arm and uh, three in um, Clark who are one admin and two accountants slash bookkeepers. Um, very in experience here onshore, so a couple of tax specialists who provide, um, purely just provide tax advice for for not only our clients, but also any other accounting firm or uh, legal firm that are looking for some tax specialization specialist advice. And we've also got a mortgage broking arm who can assist our clients here with their lending requirements, which we find works quite well, um, along with the day-to-day um, compliance work of family groups, high net worth individuals, uh, self-managed super fund advice here obviously and an audit division with company audits and self-managed super fund audits. Quite a diverse range of services. Yeah, it is quite diverse when you look at it that way. Um, And obviously you got Thomas um, Hoover and Partners have been a client of ours now since September 2015. So you're well Mm. into your journey. So I'm really looking forward to the experiences that you'll share with our listeners today during the podcast. Now, Scott, the next question I will ask you is, do you have a niche or a focus for your accounting business? Yeah, we we tend to focus on... um, but my, myself, particularly superannuation, self-managed superannuation funds, uh, a division that this practice has grown uh, quite substantially over the last two to three years. Um, the outsourcing model that we've used has assisted us in, in doing that, particularly with the use of cloud software. Um, but in terms of business services, taxation compliance, um, I think that the niche there is the, the family groups um, that come to us where they're running businesses of sizable sizable natures and we'll have the different entities um, within that, whether it be companies, trusts, super funds, etc. And to be able to work um, coherently with, with the client there in ensuring that um, all structures are serviced correctly on a timely manner would probably be where we see our strength would be. If there's an industry in particular, we've got a large hotel group, uh, one of in New South Wales, largest publicans who, uh, who, who um, I guess the firm is now specialised in, in the hospitality area. So hospitality would be a niche that we, that we tend here. But really when it's all said and done, a range of different um, industries that we can service. 
Yeah, excellent. So, Scott, tell us a little bit about the story of setting up your offshore team. So, your your firm was an early adopter. I mean, we've been running now for close to five years and you've been with us for that journey for the most of the time. What were the motivations behind the firm doing this versus obviously the range of other priorities that your firm had at the time? Yeah, look, we, we got to a point where we're getting bogged down a little bit in, I guess, compliance work where really there's no value being added to clients. I mean, it's it's the bread and butter of most firms. It needs to be done, but really we're paying highly trained, highly highly paid staff to do historical data entry. We thought there's got to be a better way of doing this so that, one, we can still service our clients with their compliance needs that needs to be done, but also free up our staff's time to be able to provide more value-add services to the client, look for opportunities, um, strategies, et cetera, which will obviously increase the value we provide to our clients, but also increase, I guess, a revenue stream here for our office. So looking at that, we um, we heard about the offshoring outsourcing model, and we actually tried to do it ourselves without knowing there were too many providers out there. Uh, one of our employees had um, has, has a lot of family actually over in the Philippines, and we thought, well, let's try and... Uh, get them involved in it. They've got accounting backgrounds. Let's try and get them involved. So we, we actually charged over there on our own steam and looked to set up a branch or a company over there, whatever we needed to do. And we tried that for a, for a month, but it just got a little bit too um, heavy-handed, too, too much time required on our end there to manage that staff. We had no controls in place. Um, if we were to going to grow it, you'd almost need a presence over there. So... We sort of thought, well, why try and reinvent the wheel when it's already been invented? And hence, we we did the search for a provider such as TOA. And um, there's a seminar down in Melbourne um, one particular Friday that I attended where a range of providers, uh, outsourcing providers, were were speaking to the crowd. And it was TOA, it was Nick, it was TOA that, um, that sort of stood out for mine. And we started our offshoring journey from there. Excellent. So what was the, I mean, obviously you saw us speaking at an event, um, you tried a little bit obviously prior to that, but what was the process that you went through um, when you went down it? So you decided to do it for, as a firm strategy. How mm-hmm. did you start? And then what was the, like, what type of time frame did it take to get it up and running and, and yeah. growing? Look, I think one of the biggest lessons we learned from this was we rushed into it a little bit too quickly. So we got excited about the offshoring model and what it can do for us and, and joined up with, with TOA straight off the bat, straight in. Got the staff in and basically just threw them the work and say, right, here we go. We didn't have any processes in place. We didn't necessarily know who was going to be the champion out here in Australia managing it outside of myself. We sort of rushed into it too much. So that was the process. We were right into it. We were in the deep end without necessarily having any processes. So... We, we, we stopped and engaged a firm with um, who specialised in process improvement, got that ship tidied up, which actually was a real big benefit onshore as well in that it sort of standardised the process on how we want to do things onshore and then got that working on the offshore um, process. So, look, I'd say it was a good four to six months before uh, the, the investment in that and the, and the outsourcing model started to work. A big learning curve for us and it took some time but in some ways we might have done it in the reverse way but in some ways it was a benefit for our firm because it also cleaned up a lot of our processes uh, onshore as well. 
It's a great thing. And I mean, we have the opposite with a lot of firms. They just take too long to make the decision and not do it. But in hindsight with you, obviously going a little bit too quick before you had some of the process and that done. Tell me a little bit more around what that external company came in and did for you. Did they help you identify what role should be done locally versus offshore? Or was it more just mapping out the process that you need to follow as a firm? Yeah, look, it was both, Nick. It was They came in and sat with us for a good um, half a day and looked at the two arms of work that we wanted to be done by our offshoring team, being self-managed super fund processing and individual tax um, preparation, individual tax return preparation. And, and we sat down for half a day and really mapped out each of the steps that the firm does as a whole. And as it turned out, you know, each of us was doing it a different way which may not have been the most efficient or economical. So once we had a, a brainstorming session and, and mapped out what each way a person does it, we picked the common the common methods, formed a solution or formed a flow charter, a mud map, if you like, of the best practice for our firm to do, do those preparations. And then they were able to put it into a, um, a SharePoint uh, document that was a live file to be shared by all to see right, who does what onshore or offshore and then once that step's been processed tick it off move on to the next and also involved um, videos as well of, of how to do certain certain tasks so that whenever an onshore or offshore member um, was preparing something and they got stuck they could easily resort to that guide to that mud map and be able to see what the next step is and, and what to do from there. Yeah, I mean, that's fantastic you've been able to do that and, and particularly doing it while you're growing an offshore team at the start. And it's one point that I, uh, you know, I, I find a lot when I speak to accountants and I speak at industry events. It's around firms do things within their own firm five to ten different ways. So mm. what we find with offshoring and building a global team and a distributed workforce is that it makes the business become a lot better because it has to be done one way for it to work. It can't be done, you know, five ways with five partners. So it's a huge point that you've added there um, regarding that and well done for getting your processes and that set up and, and running. Um, obviously, there's huge benefits both locally but with your global team as well. Yeah. So, Scott, tell us a little bit about for someone looking to set up an offshore team, what advice would you give them to be able to move as quickly as possible? What would be the three most critical things that you would spend your time on if you were to do it again? Yeah, I would uh, suggest that you look at what tasks you actually want to move offshore. Um, tasks that can be easily um, easily actioned offshore without too much, I guess, onshore supervision. Secondly, you'd want to ensure that you have someone in your practice onshore who is the, the champion of, of managing your offshore team, someone that's probably not the partner. Um, as, as we sort of found out very quickly, it chews up a bit of time, particularly at partner level, um, to be able to continually manage the, the offshore team. Get that in place. And, of course, get your processes in place. Have a, have a a fool's guide of how to do the tasks that you want to move offshore so that if, if an issue is um, come across by your offshore team, there is that guide there to be able to resort to, to be able to uh, move on at that point. Yeah, some good points there. I, I like particularly the one around tasks, and I think this is where a lot of accounting firms, um, when they're starting to offshore, they really struggle with the concept in 
in the West, we employ someone to do a role and we give them anything and anything. But really, when you're setting up an offshore team, it's around what process and task do you want done offshore? So, mm. Scott, do you want to tell us a little bit about your experience around that and how you went from, I suppose, a person that would locally do everything to, no, these are the specific tasks and process we want done by our new global team? Sure. So I guess where, where we learned our lesson is we thought, great, we've got this resource here that we'll be able to do, as you just said, absolutely everything and everything. And, and we almost bombarded them with, right, this is what we need. We need personal tax returns. So we need a BAS return. We need some bookkeeping, Excel spreadsheet work, et cetera. But obviously that's not where they were specifically trained in, um, either on their prior employment or in the training sessions that Toll provide or even the initial training that we gave them. So what we learned very quickly is that we needed to rationalise effectively what, what we gave to them and in time bring on more more actions that we wanted them to do with the appropriate training. So by minimising and really putting the blinkers on as to what we wanted them to do enabled us to um, have confidence that we can move that work over there and have it done with quality and have it done with um, the knowledge that, that they know that that's what they're doing. They're going to be doing it constantly so they'll become, uh, the more you do things, obviously the better you get at it. And, and we learned that quickly. They started to do that and we could therefore see that each time we're able to give them for the same sort of work for this for different clients, albeit a little bit different, they were able to t tackle it with no problems, get it back to us in an efficient manner. From then, we are able to sort of increase the the workload or the, the different types of work that we're offshoring. Um, and now it's sort of we, we've got them almost to a stage now where they are um, fully equipped to undertake any any service here that we want them to do in those areas that they're trained for. Yeah, excellent. So if you had a word or a phrase to describe the value your offshore team provides, what would it be? Um, the word probably increased capacity. Where Because we've been able to offshore a lot of the timely work or the you know, the, the low value to client and work offshore, we've now been able to free up a lot of time for our staff here and increase our capacity to take on new clients. It's amazing that even though you're just shifting off, off, off work there that you, know, you might be employing someone else here in Australia to do, because the, your staff are so focused over there on doing that job and, 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 that, and they're doing that day in, day out, they become very efficient at it. We've freed up resources now here in Australia to be able to take on new clients of a higher level, more clients, and, and it's just opened up that opportunity for, for us all to grow as a practice and grow the client base and different services that we can offer because we're having things done efficiently offshore. Yeah, which is a great benefit. So, Scott, we hear a lot of perceptions about offshoring. What are the main things that you've heard and what surprised you the most now that you've been doing it for, you know, since, you know, September 2015? Yeah, so a couple, a couple of things. Whenever we speak to clients or, or colleagues about the fact that we're offshoring, the, the first thing that really comes up is, is either quality of work and that you're just doing it for a wage um, cost reduction. Um, Yes, there are benefits of, of financial benefits in there, but really you can squash those um, those comments by saying why you're doing it and, and the fact that um, if I focus on the wage wage reduction, the staff members here, their initial reaction was, you know, you're just going to replace us with cheap labour. But once the, the rationale of why we're offshoring was put to them, 
no staff member has left because of because of that, and we've actually put another one on because of the increased capacity that it's got. So, so that's a myth that gets busted very quickly. I think about you know, the protection of your onshore staff um, if you position it right to them and and advise them of the benefits as, that it will give to them. They can quickly grasp the idea and and really move with it. Um, secondly, the quality of work, um, you know, offshoring. Well, again, that. Um, Look, it could be a, um, a consideration of a lot of clients knowing that you know that an Australian chartered accountant isn't necessarily doing their work. But when you advise them that the process that they're selected to go through through TOA's um, engagement process, the interviews that we that we do, and of course their backgrounds that they have with their education, their consistent training, again, it's it's put it's put to rest, and the confidence is restored in the client. Yeah, I couldn't agree more with that. And particularly around, you know, we we do hear quality of work overseas is not to the standard. And a lot of the times we relate that back to it's not actually the quality of the work being done overseas. It's actually the quality of the firm's work. Yeah. Um, and it's not a lack in process or system. It's not typically the offshore, um, not with the model that we run anyway. So, Scott, the year ahead, What's the plan for your offshore team? Obviously, you've got five team members. You've got 11 locally. Um, how do you plan to keep growing the team, their capability and their performance? Yeah. Um, well, next week, uh, we're actually bringing the team out to Australia um, to continue their education out here where we can really be one-on-one -on -one with them for, for the week with, um, with all our staff here. So we can really home in on any issues that they might be facing that you know, we don't necessarily know about because we're not in day-to-day, face-to-face contact with them each day. So that's the first thing that we're, we're doing to continue their, their education and also to continue, um, I guess, the, the appreciation that we have for them. Yes, it's it's work. Um, they're coming here to work, certainly not a holiday, but there's a, a perceived benefit, I guess, that, well, my, my, my employer appreciates what they're doing and they're happy to pay for me to come out there. So so, that, so that's happening. Um, constant training of our offshore staff members um, through the TOA um, CPE education facilities that are going to be provided um, and also any external um, training conferences that our staff would like to attend to. We're more than happy to support that cause. Um, they went to a conference last year, um, a three-day conference where the, the whole team went um, for a three-day conference, um, stayed the stayed the night, a couple of nights down there, and, and grew their skills that way. So we're, we're quite happy to invest in in our staff's education, whether it be onshore or offshore, um, whether it be webinars that we we run weekly training sessions here in Australia, and always have our staff in on those. Um, so that they can learn from from the experiences. Now, it may not even be work that they're necessarily doing, but bringing them in and, and keeping them abreast of any changes in in the Tax Act or any changes in the way we do things will always benefit them in the long run. Um, for our practice, we're continually looking to grow. Um, I think there's there's space in the new year potentially to bring on another one or two staff members. We're all we're in the midst of um, always looking for a new practice to acquire or a fee parcel to acquire. So if that happens, then it's a no-brainer that another couple of offshore staff members will, will come on board. Excellent. And as our listeners will be able to hear, you're very structured with what you are investing in your team, not just both, not 
both your global and your local team to continue to grow and um, continually help them in their capability and performance. So, Scott, for our listeners, some recommendations. What are the top, some of the top things that you would recommend they do in managing an offshore team? Yeah, I think first and foremost, find that person inside your office that will be the go-to person for your offshore offshore team. And, and if resources allow, try and make it not not the, not a partner make it one of your senior staff members um you just need time you do need time to be able to manage manage the staff any concerns they have or any questions they have in relation to the work that they are doing i think you need a focal point for them there that's always there for them so that they're not feeling as if they're secondary to the cause um secondly you you certainly need the processes mapped out you need clear instruction of of what they are doing and, and how they are to do it. Otherwise, the the ship sort of sinks in that they get bogged down. Um, they're quite shy to ask for, for assistance. And, and if that happens, then inefficiencies creep in. So I think person here managing in Australia and structure of, of processes are the two key things um, for anyone considering offshoring. Yeah, fantastic. Now, how this is a topic that I talk to a lot of firms about. Some have it really, really well. Some don't have it done at all. But how do you measure KPIs? What KPIs do you use to measure the success of your offshore team? Yeah, we might fall into that boat of, of, of not necessarily reviewing that to, to its strength. But obviously, productivity um, of, our, of all our staff is measured through timesheets, um, of the day's activity. So that's first first and foremost of, of how we see our offshore team going. Also recoverability of their of their time. We've set we've set the charge out rates equivalent to what an Australian staff member would be, regardless of their pay um, structure, so that we can see the true value that is going to clients. So if we are recovering the time that they're that they're billing, then that's a very good indicator for us of how the offshore division is going. We also then look at um, billings by billings recovered by the offshore team against their P&L, so against their cost centre, and look at the profit margin effectively that that offshore centre is deriving for us. And and if it's doing, it obviously needs to be doing better than than the Australian P&L. Um, well, doesn't necessarily need to be doing better, but if it's equivalent, then we know that the um, we know that the process is working. Secondly, I guess, is the satisfaction of our staff. If we know our staff are, are happy offshore, then we know they're going to continually put in um, to the to the to the cause and be happy. You have a happy employee. You have a productive workforce. So, one one factor, obviously, that's not um, economical is that satisfaction factor. That's some great points there. And I mean, you've had a very, very low um, turnover rate of your staff in in the global sense anyway. So it's, it's yeah. you know, it shows that obviously the culture and the way that you're managing and growing them um, is obviously working. Um, so a question now more locally with your business, how has offshoring benefited your clients? Yeah, clients. So I think first and foremost is the, is, is the speed that we're able to get certain tasks out to them. Um, the fact with cloud computing is obviously helping all round, but the task that we've been able to assign to offshore with the assistance of cloud computing means that data is being coded almost live on a daily basis, if you like, 
and therefore when it comes to bath time or, or the like, they're getting processed and out the door very quickly so that our clients are knowing exactly where they are with their tax obligations. Um, for super funds in particular, through the use of, of Class Super, we're doing daily processing so that many of our clients can log in to Class Super and have an up-to-date position of where their fund is, which wasn't happening before, before we had our offshore team doing the, the SMSF processing. So I think the the speed of which we're getting work out, um, the efficiency in which we're getting work out and the constant or the, the communication between clients is been a real benefit of our of engaging the offshore process. Yeah, I mean, that's great for your clients, it's great for you. So next question leads into is how has offshoring contributed to giving you and the other partners in the firm more time um, and has it given you more of a work-life balance? It's a uh, interesting question. Um, to be honest, it, it's probably remained the same or if not um, increased our workload to a certain degree in that, as we mentioned before, it's given us greater capacity to take on more clients. So more clients, more staff generally means more work at partner level, new reviewing or management. So there's certainly work-life balance in that certain tasks aren't, aren't needing to be done by us, but in terms of the review and the constant communication with our offshore team, that, that's increased. So, and I don't mind that at all. I mean, if, we could, if, we're, if that's occurring, it means the firm's growing, there's greater work, there's greater revenue streams coming in. So certainly not running off down the beach because we're not, someone else is doing our work. I think it's, <laughs> it's gone the other way in that um, it's increased our workload. And as I said, I don't mind that at all. And look, I think that's a really, really good point because in the interview that um, I had last week with David, who's a mortgage broker that's with us, so he's the mortgage broking arm of an accounting firm, um, he hasn't gone on a holiday for, for over 10 years and what the offshoring team's given him is the ability to be able to take that break. But businesses are at different stages in, in their evolution and in their life and in their growth phase. Um, to be able to attract more work and be able to deal with it, so you're increasing your revenue off the same base, you know, that's a huge benefit and a huge um, positive for the firm. Um, some people don't want to, like you said, go down the beach and sit on the beach. I mean, it'd be nice one day, but but not Try. today. <laughs> not today, um, yeah. Yeah. So has offshoring had an effect on the average hourly rate of the business? Uh, yeah, look, look, it has in that it will come down, obviously, because of, of cost centres come down, but... As I before, we've, we've generally kept their charge-out rates applicable to where we think um, they should be for the work that's being done. So even though obviously the cost centre is less and we could we could really um, push down that charge-out rate time there, we wanted to keep it generally the same or be a little bit lower. So we're still measuring value to, to what we perceive and therefore needing to build to our client. We didn't want to really put in a low charge out rate for them and therefore miss out on opportunity that the, the value that we've now built through our offshoring division we don't necessarily bill off of what's been posted in timesheets it's obviously just a very good guide but keeping it constant no matter what staff member it is in their cost center i think was important to us so that we can see the value or recoup that value that, we're, that we've now obtained but if we we're doing it on a on a true level yeah, and yes it, it, the, the hourly charge rate would be coming down and, and and the cost to a client for doing the work certainly would come down some some clients have reaped that benefit um but across the board we we, we sort of still keep that 
um, value because we bill on value here um, the same. So would I be right in saying that the profit is has increased over this journey? Yeah, yeah, certainly profit. The, the division of um, when we look at our, our offshore profit and loss that we, that we review, it's certainly proving a profitable exercise. Which is a really interesting way to look at it. So are you running a P&L on your global team as a business function and then having a P&L on your, on your local team as well? Yeah, we, I mean, one P&L obviously for Combined, the yep. firm wide, but we then break it down to see, right, well, what, if, what what's our offshore team, team build and what's their cost centre, wages, admin fee, travel, education, et cetera, and put it towards... You know, run it out and down the bottom and it will obviously roll out a, a profit figure, compare that to what the Australian cost centre is and it's chalk and cheese. Yep, which is great, which is fantastic. Mm. So I'm going to ask you a few personal questions here. So what sure. one bit of advice would you give your younger self from a business sense? I think uh, have a little bit more confidence in what you're able to do Um not second guess yourself all the time. Take, take it, take a few risks, calculated risks, um, but back yourself to know that you're capable of doing what you wish to do. Excellent. And one bit of advice that you give, you would give your younger self from a personal point of view. The younger self from a personal point of view, um, maybe take your time a little bit more and assess <laughs> assess a few things before um, before running into them. Also. Excellent. So what is the biggest myth or objection you've heard about having an offshore team and is it true? Yeah, biggest myth would be that you're just looking for cheaper labour and therefore looking to rid of your onshore staff. And I think that's the biggest myth in the whole offshoring process. As I said before, we've, we haven't lost any staff to our offshoring process we've actually increased increased our numbers here um, both on an admin and a professional capacity and I think the staff couldn't be happier uh, with our onshore staff couldn't be happier with um, with the structure knowing that um, there's certain tasks they don't necessarily need to do and can focus on actually providing value to the client which is a huge huge benefit for both the business your local team and obviously your global team as well yeah, correct. So for someone looking to grow their business um, and or their team, what's the best piece of advice that you've heard and implemented that you could pass on? Uh, growing the team, I think have the, have the right structure in place. I know I keep harping on about it, but without the structure, then the whole process falls, falls away. Get the structure in place. It's almost the, the saying of build it and they will come. So get the structure in place. And the, and the clock keeps ticking, it just keeps moving. Having that in place allows the firm to grow because you've got your efficiencies in place. Everyone knows their role, everyone knows their task. There's one standardised way of doing it, bringing efficiencies in, building that capacity to be able to take on more clients, increase your team and everybody wins. Excellent, great advice. So a quick five questions to finish off the podcast today. What cloud software do you use in your business? Yeah, we use Class Class Super. We use Now Infinity for our uh, ASIC compliance. We use obviously the Zero and MYOB solutions for client um, accounting processes. 
Excellent. So what's your favourite app? Favourite app? Um, it's actually a sporting app. <laughs> it's got nothing to do with business, but it's the Aussie Rules, Aussie Rules app. Excellent. And what's your must-read each week? Must read again would be the wrap up of Aussie Rules on a Monday. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> and, <laughs> and your favourite social media channel? Has to be Facebook. Uh, I assume it's a great way of being able to catch up with, with people you don't see constantly and, and recapping on maybe certain things that occurred on the weekend. Excellent. And your favourite KPI in the business? KPI would be the recovery rate. Um, you know, we can all. We can all bill, 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 bill and bill, but if we're not getting the cash through the door, then um, what's the point of it? So the recovery rate, purely it tells, it tells the story. Excellent. Love that one. So for any of our listeners wanting to get in contact with you, we'll put um, the, your information in the show notes, but what's the best way for someone to reach out um, to you? Is it through Facebook? Is it through your website, email? What's the best way for any of our yeah. listeners to get in touch with you? Email, email or phone would be fine so um those details will be there i'm sure but yeah just just drop an email or, or drop us a phone phone call excellent thank you so much for all of the valuable insights you've given us today no problem thanks for your time to follow our podcast and get insights from leading accountants simply visit the outsourcedaccountant.com or visit itunes or soundcloud and head to the offshore accountant podcast to connect with me personally just look for my twitter handle at Nick Q Sinclair or find me on LinkedIn at Nick Sinclair. Thanks and have a great day.